You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. What up, Mill Sunday Schoolers? We are looking at a passage in Psalms, Psalm 107. Turn there. I'm going to read. start reading in verse 1. It's a good place to start. Psalm 107, verse 1. I want you to pay, I'm going to read this passage and pay close attention to the idea that God satisfies our hunger. And today we're going to talk about a spiritual hunger. So I want you to to specifically look at that today in Psalm 107, uh, verse number 1. Psalm 107, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. And those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west and the north and the south, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry. Everybody say hungry. We got food back there, so if you're hungry, go eat something. But uh, today we're going to talk about a spiritual hunger, which, which you can be physically fed but spiritually hungry and we're going to talk about that today this says this in verse five they were hungry and they were thirsty and their lives ebbed away they cried out to the lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle let them give thanks to the lord for his unfailing love for his wonderful deeds for men for he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things let's pray this morning God, we thank you for the fact that you feed us. God, we praise your name that spiritually, God, you feed us with good things. That no matter what we do in our life, that you've redeemed us from our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God, we accept that gift gracious of, of we accept that gift of grace, God, with open hearts, open minds this morning. Jesus, we honor you and praise you with our lives, and we thank you for feeding us with your spiritually good food. And everyone screamed, Amen. <sighs> Amen. Um, a couple years ago, I lived in Ogden, Utah. Anybody from Utah? Woo-hoo. Yes, yes. Uh, it's right north of Salt Lake City, and I was going to a really great church called Washington Heights Baptist Church, a really cool church. It was a church that had a reputation, a church that was really known for being really smart as far as it goes with scripture. And they had a Sunday school for kiddies, and they had adult Sunday school and college. Everything was about teaching and Sunday. They had really good, like Sunday school attendance for adults was like just as high as it was for the church service. It was a church that was known for people in the church knew their theology, they knew their Bible. And uh, like my friends would, like it was just pretty common to hang out in a coffee house and for us all to just be studying the Bible, like studying individual passages and talking about it. Somebody would come to the table and say, check out what I got, some sweet highlighters. They're bleedless. And like, oh my gosh, let me see the pink one. Let me start underlining and highlighting cool stuff. And it was just, it was just kind of the culture of this, of this church that was just really known for being good scripture studiers and people of theology and people that knew the word of God. And some of that had to do with, I think Baptists in, in general have a good reputation for adult Sunday school programs and knowing their Bible. And then this church in particular was, was in Utah. And Utah is, I think it's like 70-something percent Mormon. And the differences between a Mormon faith and an evangelical faith have to do with theology. So in order to, to talk to a Mormon about differences and things like that, you had to be able to explain the deity of Jesus Christ. You had to be ex- able to explain the Trinity and other things like that. So this church, I just came from that church and it was just such a, it was such a good reputation for knowing the Bible. And I came to New Life and I I realized that our reputation is for, I think, for worship. We are, we are just, I mean, who in here plays guitar? It seems like every time I talk to someone, everybody plays guitar and everybody can lead worship. And uh, I mean, we're the church where Desperation Band is from here. And John Egan is from this very church. And, uh, and it's just really, I mean, the school of worship is here. My wife was in the school of worship. She could lead worship. It seems like everybody can lead worship. We're just a church that's known for worship. Don't you think? Don't you think we have that reputation? I think so. And uh, when I came here, I kind of missed the fact that we weren't known for, at least in our reputation, that we were more known for a worship church and, and maybe less known for a church that's like, oh, New Life Church, they're known for their scripture study. They're known for, everybody knows their theology. 
And, and not to say that New Life Church is known for being dumb when it comes to the Bible. <laughs> That's not at all what I'm saying. But I miss the fact that I was associated, because of this old church I went to, just associated with, man, we know our scripture. We're, we're from Washington Heights Baptist Church. How about that? And uh, when I came to New Life, New Life isn't just like known as their most important thing as, as being known for scripture. And uh, I, I, my heart and vision for Sunday school is uh, for us at New Life Church to be known for, for being scripturally, theologically sound. And this, the Mill Sunday School, is a part of that vision that I believe God gave to me a long time ago. And uh, I believe this right here, what we're doing, is part of a fulfillment of that vision that God gave me and, and other people on the Mill staff a long time ago for us to search out the scriptures, to know the Bible, and to know scripture. So ladies and gentlemen, all this month, the month of November, which is, of course, No Shave November, if you didn't know that, uh, just is. Uh, the month of November, while, while we'll be grow- our, us guys will be growing our beards, we will also, in the Mill Sunday School, be studying the Bible. And uh, we'll be looking at how to study the Bible, how, uh, tools, concordances, why we study the Bible, and uh, we'll jump right into that. But before we do so, some announcements. Is that okay? Announcements? Uh, if you're newish, first announcement, number one, is if you're newish, we have these cards laying around. You might have to find one. They're probably on tables or something like that. If you want to fill this out and then give it to that nice man in the back, he will give you a CD just for coming in and filling out your first-timer card, and we welcome you to do that. Uh, so that's if you're new. If you are interested at all in getting King's College credit, if, if you're new to Sunday school and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about King's College gives us, the Mill Sunday School, college credit for the curriculum, the, the year-long curriculum that we've established. And this, this month of November is part of that curriculum. So if you want information, come talk to me or that, that back table booth back there. We'll give you some information about college credit. It's just kind of cool. Uh, third announcement-ish is Tuesday. Everybody know what Tuesday is? just Tuesday. But you could also vote on that day. It's a pretty big deal for our country. And so as Christians, remember we talked about how, uh, was it Romans 13, 1 through 6, talks about giving to the government, serving the government, obeying authorities in front of you, and uh, get pay, it's even that passage talks about paying your taxes and doing your civil duty. I think it's a part of our civil duty to vote. And so if you're registered to vote, vote. If you're not regis- registered to vote, you can't do anything, sorry. Next year, not even next year, four years from now, don't worry. <laughs> Make sure you get registered. There's some people in the back with uh, uh, stuff like this. You could pick one of these up on your way out. It kind of helps you vote and on issues that are important to Christians, specifically when it comes to uh, the rights of, uh, of babies in the womb and stuff like that. Pretty cool. So there's some guys back there if you want one of these. Uh, feel free to pick one up or to grab one when they hand it to you. And your final announcement is a little small group called Remade. These uh, uh, should be on your table. There, there's a guy named Ramil and Janelle. Are you guys in here? Oh, there's Ramil. Hi, Ramil. He's a really cool guy. He leads a small group. And listen to the small group. Woo, I'm excited too. Uh, it's a really cool group because it, it's called Remade. It's a Mill Sunday school group. And here's what they do. They meet on Wednesday nights at a house and you could ask for directions and call him up and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and just check out this group. It's a group that's kind of parallels itself with the Mill Sunday school. So this Wednesday, they will be also talking about the Bible. And while we're talking about how to study the Bible and how to look at it, they'll be exegeting and hermeneutically expositioning the book of First John. So we'll talk about it. They'll actually do it. Pretty cool. Just wanted to let you know about Remade, the small group. Everybody say something. <laughs> let's, uh, let's review. Does everyone have a, a skillet with a Martin Luther's uh, face on it? If uh, he's, We're not talking about Martin Luther King Jr. This is like the original Martin Luther. On there is, uh, is your notes. And if you could turn to that, I'm going to give you a, a couple points of a review. Uh, two months ago, we talked about why the Bible was the Word of God. And so I'm going to review that. And then we're going to jump right into, okay, the Bible is the Word of God. Let's study it. And that's what we're doing this month. But as far as review goes, we, we, a couple months ago, we talked about how the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It, the Bible, uh, I, I made the statement that no archaeological finding has ever disproven something in the Bible. 
That's kind of cool that we can look back and say, oh, the Bible talks about a city of Jerusalem. Huh, just so happens that we can go today to a city of Jerusalem and see part of the temple and see walls and structures and archaeology that supports the Bible. Pretty cool. That, that statement was no archaeological evidence has ever disproven the Bible. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, as far as review as to why the Bible is the word of God, we talked about, remember when we talked about the prophecies of Jesus? Anyone remember that? Say yes if you do. Okay, a couple of people. We talked about how the Old Testament prophesied the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, and that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be born from a, a woman that was a virgin. I mean, this only happened a couple times as far as I know. <laughs> um, uh, things like that, that, that Jesus was prophesied about. Jesus came and he fulfilled Old Testament prophecies, prophecies that predicted his coming thousands of years before he came. We talked about that. That's just really cool. And so if someone asks you, why do you believe in the Bible? You can give them some of those reasons about archaeology and uh, the prophecies of Jesus. And, and, and we, talked, we talked about this for a whole month. You can go back and podcast. The, we podcast all the Sunday school teachings. And so you can go back and, and listen to some of those. We talked about this idea that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Even though the Bible has been written by at least 40 plus authors. Um, you know, we could, there's probably more authors of like Psalms and uh, Proverbs that we just don't know who they are, but we at least know of 40 authors of the books of the Bible. And despite the 40 authors ranging from every uh, position of life, from extreme poverty to extreme wealth, like some of the authors, like David was a king, pretty wealthy, whereas Matthew was a tax collector, followed Jesus, gave up everything. He's a pretty poor guy. Uh, every walk of life, kings, paupers, statesmen, fishermen, poets, and physicians, they were writing on various continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic, taking on all kinds of forms of literature like poetry, history, civil, criminal law, ethics, parables, biographies, prophecies, and personal correspondence. And it spanned the years of 2,000 years. This book was written, and yet... There is no major contradiction in the book of the Bible. One passage doesn't say, oh, God is a three-headed cow. And the other passage says, oh, God's like one of the titans that lives on Mount Olympus. The Bible does not contradict itself in theological propositions about God and salvation and how that all works. Pretty cool book, don't you think? Round of applause for the Bible. (laughs) So... Uh, So we believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, how do we go about studying it? And today, I'm going to kind of hold off on the how of going about studying it and more talk about the hunger that we need to be able to study the Bible. The spiritual hunger that we first need in order to open the book of the Bible. Because without a spiritual hunger, it's just something we have to do. And if it's something we have to do, then it's just... It's like you have, to do, you have to do it, then it's not that fun. But if there's a deep spiritual hunger inside of you, then you'll want to read the Bible, right? And so here's what I want you to discuss, this question, and it's for everyone. So you could, you could kind of cu- come up with some answers personally and then maybe turn to some people around you if you're in the back. That's, it's totally cool to, to, to make a little list by yourself. But to, but to be, I mean, it's cool to talk to people, right? Don't you like people? I mean, the people around you are nice people. They're Sunday school people. We're like a big family in here. Uh, Here's the discussion question. It's actually on your notes. What keeps us, meaning everyone, and you can get as personal as you want, um, but what keeps us from reading the Bible? Would you come up with a, a little list? Maybe, maybe you'll get a little personal and say, you know, this keeps me from reading the Bible when I, whatever. Would you go ahead and do that? Is that a good question? I think it's a pretty good question. It's very relevant because if you think about it, you're thinking introspectively. Okay, I don't, I don't know if I read the Bible as much as I want to, but what really keeps me from reading the Bible? Would you answer that question and maybe turn to some buddies and make a little list? Ready, get, set, go. Oh, this is the MacGyver theme song. Yes. <laughs> Only a few of us got that.
All right, let, let, let's give you uh, like 60 seconds-ish to wrap up your conversations. 60 seconds to wrap up. All right, um, <clears throat> we got we got some mics going around. Uh, maybe maybe you would uh, feel confident and bold enough uh, to share with the group what what you guys talked about and as as something that keeps us from reading the Bible. Anybody want to go first? It's a little scary. You would like to? Okay, wait for the mic. She, she, give her the mic right here. Wait, you got a mic? All right, you get to go first, and then Ramil. Okay, go ahead. Um, the vernacular. So the vernacular. Just when it was written, people have written for the ways that they talked. Like what? Yeah, as it as it is just hard to understand. Yeah. Sometimes. So the what? The message keeps, Bible is great. Yeah, the message Bible is great. I like that one too. So something that could keep you from reading the Bible is that it's hard to read. It's it's hard to understand. I I see where you're going with that. Very good. Yes, Ramil. Sometimes we. Whoa. Sometimes we act like we know it already, y'all. <laughs> yeah, it keeps us from reading the Bible. I don't need to read it. That's what. <laughs> I'm going to lump that into the category of pride. <laughs> yes. Okay, we, we, we kind of had a couple ones. Um, time, for one. Like, we have so many other things that we have to time, get done. Like, as far time, as in time set aside? Right. Okay. Right. And I think the other big thing we talked about was just we don't know where to start. Like, do we start at the beginning? There, do we want to just jump in the middle of something? Yeah. Read different stories? Where do, where do you, what do you read? Yeah, what do you read? It's, it's kind of, kind of a big book. Yes. Any, any, any other peoples? Yes. Apathy. Like if you're going through a time where you just, you're completely content, but you're also kind of going through a dry season. Yeah. Where you can't really get spiritually motivated. You are not able to find inspiration in anything and you just fall into apathy. Yeah. Apathy. Just, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I totally... I've, I've fallen into that myself at different times of just feeling maybe a smaller word than apathy is just laziness. I don't know. It's like just a, God, it's so hard or I don't have time. Yeah, it's good. that's a good, I mean, it's just being honest. Yeah. Any, anyone else? Yes, go ahead. Well, I think that um, in this country we have such an easy access to the Bible and to worship, to everything yeah. that relates to the Bible and the Christian life. And in other countries where they don't have access to that, the, that time that they do have to read the Bible, the ability to have a Bible to read is so much more precious. But we just take advantage of the fact that, like some of us were saying, you can turn on the TV and there's a televangelist. Or you can turn on worship music and you have it. Yeah. That we don't invest the personal time to yeah. study and really know the Bible for ourselves. Yeah, that's good. Other countries don't have the Bible as easy as we do. I'm gonna t- today I'm going to talk about church history and how in history we haven't always had the Bible like we have it today. Very good. Very good thought. Okay, last last comment. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it kind of goes with pride, but like if you're feeling convicted about something and you feel guilty, mm-hmm. and then you don't want to read it because then you'll feel more convicted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just messed up. It just sinned. I'm going to go to a Bible study. What a, what a great day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's the best time to do the Bible study. That, I mean, that's, that's what the Christian message is all about, about forgiveness over our sins. But sometimes it just doesn't feel like the best time to read the Bible. I have another question for you, and this isn't a discussion question. This is more of a question to kind of turn inside and, and ask ourselves. And I've been asking myself this same question uh, as I've been preparing for this study. But the question is, how hungry are you? How spiritually hungry are you to read the Bible? Because I think a lot of these maybe reasons for why we don't believe, uh, we don't read the Bible as much as we should can, can kind of, I don't want to just over-categorize them, but sometimes they're just excuses as to why we don't read the Bible as much as we should. And it's rare that I, I get to talk to, as a pastor of the mill, I get to talk to lots of guys and um, lead the little uh, discipleship uh, times with guys, and you know, I'll ask them, "How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing reading the Bible?" And rarely does anyone say, "Oh man, I am reading the Bible as much as I want to." <laughs> it's it's always, I mean, it's just rare. That I don't think it's ever happened, actually, to be honest. That people just say, "Oh, you know, I'm reading a lot, but I, I'd love to read more. I'm, I'm not reading as much as I would like to." And and it goes back to that question. I think, how hungry are you? Because a hungry person 
doesn't, like, uh, let's say a physically hungry person, if you're really, like, food hungry, and, and you want some food, and you have some food in front of you, um, do you think in your head, man, I just wish I had time to eat all this food. <laughs> man, I, I should set aside time to eat all this food. I'm so hungry. No, you don't. You just eat the food. There's this guy named uh, Brian Regan. He's a comedian. Have you guys heard of him? He's pretty good. He's, he's, he's pretty clean, and he's got this bit about Pop-Tarts, and he says, Pop-Tarts, the whole name is that they pop out of, you know, they pop out of the toaster oven and you, you heat them up that way. I mean, that's the whole reason why they were made like that, to go inside a toaster. Yet on the back of the box for the Pop-Tarts, there's microwave instructions, as if the minute and a half of toasting them was too long. And so you needed to cut that time down to 20 seconds of time in order to pop the pop tart and he ends the joke with you need to pick up a brochure to montana <laughs> it's it's funny because your time you don't have time to eat a pot anyways obviously he's a comedian i'm a pastor um <laughs> and uh uh it's just it's just the idea of like oh i need to make time i need to do my bible study because i know it's good or i need to do this because it's a doing that god's gonna be happy with me if i do my bible study and i need to set aside side time to do my bible study but to think about it another way and to hopefully to to ask you that question again how hungry are you spiritually and it's like you know a really hungry person doesn't set aside time to eat they just eat I mean, I used to teach high school biology, and even though there's like formaldehyde in the room and dead frogs and like all kinds of gross stuff, kids would still sneak candy into the room and hide it and just eat it. Mmm, nerds and lifesavers and deliciousness. And you just eat. If you're hungry, you eat. Uh, And so uh, that question again, how hungry are you? If you're spiritually hungry, you'll find time to read the Bible. If you're spiritually hungry, then you'll, you'll just make time to read the Bible. You'll read it during your lunch. You'll read it before you go to bed. You'll read it when you wake up. You don't even have to set aside time. You'll just read it because you're hungry. And as I, as I, I, I want to kind of go on a rabbit trail for a real quick. Is everybody okay with rabbit trails? It's going to feel, it might feel like a rabbit trail, but it's not really a, a rabbit trail. We're going to talk about church history for a minute. And so if you're like, if you leave Sunday school and you're like, what, what did they talk about in Sunday school? You'll talk about, oh, they talked about the Bible and then they kind of talked about church history. It was weird. I don't know where he was going. Here's where I'm going with this. I'm going to talk about church history so that we can see through history, Christians like ourselves in other times when maybe the Bible wasn't as easy to get a hold of and yet there was still spiritually hungry people that were able to find the Bible, to read it, to, get, to feed themselves on the word of God. So, it may seem like a rabbit trail, but it's not. Got it? In fact, rabbit trail, do you want to know a fact about rabbits? <laughs> it, it might be helpful for some of you, but uh, rabbits, I've, I've been kind of into hunting and uh, hunting things in the woods. It's kind of fun. If you want to talk about hunting sometime, we could come talk, talk about things. Uh, but I've been hunting rabbits and... Uh, <laughs> A rabbit, tra- you think a rabbit's just going like anywhere? Like a wolf will chase a rabbit because a rabbit is a good meal for a wolf, right? And a wolf can smell the rabbit. So the wolf will chase a rabbit. Even if the wolf can't see the rabbit, he can smell the rabbit and get on its trail. But a rabbit's really smart. Like a rabbit trail, actually, a rabbit will start running and he'll start running in a big circle. And then the rabbit will get on its own uh, scent track and then confuse the wolf and so just run around in circles and then get off its own scent track and run somewhere else where the wolf is still like going around in that same circle. It's a really smart thing to do. So we are in the best senses of that term going on a rabbit trail right now through church history. Are you ready for that? Okay, hopefully, hopefully it'll, it will be like a real rabbit trail and it will come full circle back to the main point. And so let's look at church history for a little bit. I want to talk about early church history and give you some facts about early church history. Um, and, and in early church history, this is the time of like the book of Acts and after the, just after the Bible was written, time of the Roman Empire. Um, it was kind of a, it was a very different time. How many of you can read in here? Quite a few of us could probably read in here. Um, and that, that, ladies and gentlemen, even though it's kind of funny, it's like, duh, everybody could read. Um, that, in our society, is, compared to the rest of the world, is a pretty big deal, first of all. And then compared to the history of the world, the fact that pretty much every single one of us in here, despite, I don't know, some random circumstance of why you can't read, um, and even me, like, 
in elementary school, like I remember the teacher would always be like, all right, it's reading time. Now the special kids get to get their special books and go to the special room for their special class of reading. And so I'd pick up all my gear and get to go. <laughs> See ya. I'm special. Get to study in the special group. And uh, <laughs> just found out a couple years ago that the reason for that special group was because I was I don't, not very good at reading. And so... Uh, <laughs> but anyways, so we all can learn how to read. In the early church, in the first, second, third century, the, the literacy rate for, for the mass population was ridiculously low. Um, every single girl back in the old times, this is very different than we live now, but women were not treated equally. Women, as far as education was concerned, women weren't educated at all. The only people that could read back in this ancient culture were, first of all, men and very privileged men that were either rich or their parents didn't need them to work and so they could afford a private school and go to that school. And so just the literacy rate was very low. And books back, back then were very expensive. First, second century books. Did you know that the printing press wasn't invented until like the Middle Ages, 1500s? So if you had a book and you were living at the time of like the early church, that book didn't just come off like a copier or a printing press or a printing machine. If you had a book someone literally hand-wrote, copied that book that you had in your hand. So, I mean, you could just imagine how expensive they were. I mean, how much would it cost? Does, does anybody want to offer to, like, recopy the Bible real quick? It would, take, it would take years. You'd have to pay somebody's salary years in order to have a copy of the Bible. So the expense, the fact that not the literacy rate was so low... Uh, led to lots of people not being able to read the Bible because A, they didn't have one, and B, they couldn't be able to read. And yet, in this early church period, there were spiritually hungry people. And you know what they did? Throughout the early church, throughout, even including the Old Testament times, when people, when paper wasn't very common, when reading wasn't very common, when books weren't very common, do you know how the, the, the Bible was passed along? By memorizing, memorizing it. So you'd go sit down on Grandpa's lap and say, Grandpa, would you, would you tell me the story again of Genesis? And he'd, he'd just start repeating Genesis in the beginning. <laughs> God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then like 10 hours later, he'd, he'd be done with the book of Genesis. Like, wow, that's awesome. Thanks. But people memorized it. If you were hungry in the first, second century church, and you didn't have a Bible, and you couldn't read, and you were spiritually hungry, you memorized it. The fact that we all have Bibles in here, the, fact, the first fact that we could all read in here is a really big deal. And the second fact that we can all have a Bible in here, and if you don't have a Bible, or maybe the only Bible you have is like a really nice one, and maybe grandma gave it to you, and it's somewhere nice in your house, you could keep that one there. You don't have to bring it to church. And if, it's, if it's nice and you want to keep it nice, keep it there. But you can, there's, there's Bibles all on these tables out here with mill stickers on them. And if you want a Bible, you can have it. Just take it home. It's your Bible. And so... The fact that we can all read and the fact that we all have Bibles in here is, is a privilege. And what I hope to, to share with, through that early church history is it's just the privilege that we have to read the Bible. Moving on into, um, in your notes is a word that you might not be able to pronounce. It's called the Gnostics. Gnostics, it comes from a Greek word meaning, yeah, like knowledge. I heard somebody say knowledge, kind of a hidden knowledge, a mystic kind of knowledge. And Gnostics were people that um, maybe they did have a Bible, but they um, just wanted to get out of the Bible what they wanted to get out of it. And so they're very mystical, spiritual. Gnosticism is a kind of religion. Um, my wife and I live in Manitou Springs, Colorado. Anybody from Manitou? Woo-hoo! Uh, yes! Uh, <laughs> other Manitonites. Um, <laughs> Anyways, Manitou is a very weird city. In fact, I got a bumper sticker that says, keep Manitou weird. And that's probably why I live there, because I myself am a little weird. But uh, Manitou, the name itself means spirit or wind spirit from the Indian name. And there's a lot of weird spiritual people in Manitou. Lots of like little crystal shops and hippies. Like there's always people on the street hula hooping. 
don't know. It's just Manitou. And, and they're very mystical kind of people. And those kind of people remind me of the Gnostics in early church history. So this is around the year uh, 200s, 300s maybe. The Gnostics were the first main heretics of the church. And what they really thought was that they could read into the Bible what they wanted to read into it. They could read into spiritual stuff as they wanted to read into it. So if they just opened up to a passage and said, okay, this is the passage of Jesus walking on water. When evening came, the disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. And you'd be like, okay, that means that the disciples got to a boat and set across for Capernaum. But a Gnostic might say, okay, when evening came, ooh, darkness, when evil came, his disciples, oh, disciples, all believers. So when evil comes, disciples go to a lake. Well, maybe it's the lake of fire. So when the evil comes, disciples go to hell. And, but, but they actually get into a boat and they float over that hell. And they set across the lake because Jesus is with them and the boat represents salvation. And uh, it's just weird, right? I mean, this kind of thing you do with like a hula hoop on the street of Manitou. This is weird. I don't know what that's about. Uh, maybe I'll ask them today. Um, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> weird. You're freaking people out. You're giving Manitou a bad name. So those are kind of the Gnostics. The first century church, uh, the, the, they were really heretics. Um, going, just reading into spiritual stuff what they wanted to read into it. And so it's, you, you see how it may be easy to do that. And, and so one of the excuses that someone said uh, of reasons why you don't get into the Bible is that it's hard to understand. So maybe an answer, a bad answer, by the way, to that is to just say, oh, the Bible's easy to read. Let me show you. And then just start getting, just getting weird interpretations of your, in your own head through the Bible. So, oh, this must mean this because yesterday I was sick and this passage, oh, it must mean all this to me. And because the Bible's hard to read sometimes. The Bible is a spiritual book. And so the Gnostics read into it what they wanted to read into it. But yet, at this time of Gnosticism, second, third uh, century, there were hungry people in the time of early church history. There were hungry people that really read the Bible for what it was, were able to find a Bible, read it, and, and make from it the theology that ends up in a lot of the creeds around, like the Nicene Creed of uh, th- the 300s, the Nicene Creed, these, ca- these important councils that said, yes, Jesus is God. Yes, we believe in the Trinity, and these things are true because we see them in the Bible, not us just wanting to see what we want to see in the Bible. Does that make sense? So a hungry person reads the Bible for what it is. A hungry person will do anything to read the Bible, even if it means not having a Bible and memorizing passages that you know are in the Bible. So that's the Gnostic movement. The next one is uh, the Middle Ages. Actually, before we get to the Middle Ages, during this, uh, right before the Middle Ages is the time of the Roman Empire, when uh, a hungry person named Jerome... Have you guys heard of Jerome? He's kind of an ancient church father. The Catholic Church calls him Saint Jerome. And he was a, uh, a, a Catholic secretary to the formal Catholic Church. And what he wanted to do was translate the Bible into every day, the language of every day of the Roman Empire. You know what the language of the Roman Empire was? <laughs> Everybody's like, Roman? <laughs> Americans speak American. <laughs> No, the, the language of the Roman Empire was Latin. And so he wanted to translate the scriptures out of the original languages of Greek and Hebrew into Latin. And he was given a lot of grief for, for that. People were like, how dare you take the original languages and put it into the dirty, disgusting language of the common people? And yet Jerome was hungry. He wanted to feed other people with the word of God. And other people in the Roman Empire couldn't read Greek and Hebrew. But some of them could read Latin. So he translated the Bible. He took 25 years and translated the Bible into Latin so that everyday people in the Roman Empire could read it and understand it. And the Roman Empire falls and gives rise to the Middle Ages. Have you heard of the Middle Ages before? Of course you have. They're called the the Medieval Ages or the Dark Ages. It's not a good time for church history. That's why it's called the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages because it happens in the middle of the Roman Empire and the Renaissance. The Renaissance is sweet. Anybody go to the Renaissance Fair in the summer? I mean, talk about a party all day long. (laughs) But the Middle Ages were not a party all day long. Here's what it was like to live in the Middle Ages. Are you ready for some of these facts? If you went in, so, so this whole idea of, of like translating the Bible into Latin being a really big deal, well, Latin turned into be the holy language of the church. And then in the Middle Ages, so let's say you're in like Great Britain, and you're in Great Britain, what language do they speak in Great Britain? 
<laughs> I always think it's a trick question, but it's really easy. It's English. Um, so if you're in Great Britain, you speak, well, in the Middle Ages, you would have spoken like an old English. And so you would go into a church service. Do you know what language that church service would be in? Yeah, Latin. Did you speak Latin? No. And so you, the priest would just start talking. Has anybody ever been in a church service, like in Mexico or another country, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. You're sitting there like, And then everybody stands up and you're like, <laughs> like singing songs in a different language. You're just kind of looking around like, <laughs> it's awkward. Imagine that your whole life in the Middle Ages. Imagine services always in Latin. In fact, the etymology of a word, might, this word might show you an insight to what it was like to be in a, in a Catholic service in the Middle Ages in a different language. Because it was in Latin, uh, do you know the phrase hocus pocus? Hocus pocus, like if you're a magician, you're like, hocus pocus, and then poof, a puff of smoke and a rabbit, and a rabbit goes on a trail and it goes in a circle. <laughs> well, the etymology, that means the, the meaning of the word, of, of where it comes from, of hocus pocus, is, is the fact that um, the Catholic Church still today, this is kind of the backstory, believes in transubstantiation. Really big word for the idea that uh, the body and blood of Jesus literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. Like it's a little piece of bread, a little wine, but it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. Um, it's the Catholic Church believes in that transubstantiation. And um, when the priest would hold it up, he would say in Latin, this is my body, right? So he'd hold up the bread and say, hoc es corpus melium. In Latin meaning, for this is my body. Hoc es corpus melium, for this is my body, sounds a whole bunch like Hocus pocus. So the priest would hold up the bread and say, hocus pocus, basically. And then, you know, you just think, oh, it just became the body of Christ. And, and people in the Middle Ages were just so superstitious. That's really where that word comes from. I'm not poking fun at the Catholic Church or anything. I used to be Catholic and have a ton of respect for the Catholic Church, by the way. And so, but the people in the Middle Ages, they just heard that and were very superstitious and would be, oh, that turned into the body uh, uh, of Christ. I'm, I'm going to go receive it and receive forgiveness. And so you had no idea what was really going on in these Latin services because you didn't speak Latin. There was no way you could get a Bible. Out of all the commoners and peasants, uh, you know, the Bibles were just too expensive. And even if you could get it, what, la- what language was it in? Latin. And even if you could read, you would also have to read not only your own language, English, but then you'd have to learn how to read a- another language just to be able to understand Latin. And, and there's this, I mean, just imagine being a Christian in the Middle Ages would be very different, right? You wouldn't have a Bible to do your daily devo, would you? No, you wouldn't have a Bible, first of all. You wouldn't be able to read, second of all. And even if you could, the language of the Bible would be Latin. And you couldn't read Latin because it was an ancient dead language that only priests read. So everything, that, everything you knew about God was something that someone had to tell you, a priest had to tell you, and services were in Latin. So it was just a very confusing time to be a Christian. And yet... There was hungry people in the Middle Ages. Hungry people like Martin Luther. I think we have his picture. Actually, Martin Luther's picture is on the front of your, of your skillet there. If you're surprised he's not black, that's because Martin Luther King Jr. is a different man than Martin Luther. <laughs> that's funny, but some people are like, man, that's weird. I thought he was black. Different guy. Both respectable. But Martin Luther, hundreds of years before Martin Luther King Jr., this Martin Luther would, was a Protestant, a protester to the Catholic Church. And he said something that, he said, you know what, no ma- even if the Pope says this, even if the Catholic Church says this, even if a council says this, and, and a tradition says this, I'm not going to believe it unless the Bible alone tells me that it's true. And Martin Luther was a heretic for that thought. I mean, we have that thought all the time. We're like, well, if this preacher said this, shouldn't it be backed up in the Bible? I mean, how many times have you thought that before? Or you've been in a discussion with someone, you're like, no, I think it's like this. No, the theology's like this. And like, no, it's like this. Well, let's go to the Bible and see who's correct, right? That's what we do. And that's what Martin Luther said. He said, you know what, even if this Pope says that this is true, while the Pope is a good man and while he may have the best intentions, if it's not in the Bible, then I'm not going to believe it. And Martin Luther was a horrible heretic at that time for that thought. But it's a thought he had because he was someone that was hungry, spiritually hungry for more. Here's another person that was spiritually hungry in the Middle Ages, William Tyndale. I think we have a picture of him coming up. 
Have you heard of Tyndale? Tyndale Publishing, Tyndale Press? They are translating the Bible still today. It's a company named after William Tyndale, who lived in England. And he was the first person to translate the, the Bible from original Greek and Hebrew into English and Old English. He lived around the 1400s, 1500s. And Tyndale wanted to put the Bible into everyday people's hands like you and me so that we can read it. And you know what he had to do? You know, the price he had to pay for that? He translated it and took years to translate it by hand with his, like pen and ink onto pieces of paper, translated the Bible, and then for a year he was tried as a heretic, as someone that would turn the language from the original Greek and Hebrew and Latin into the commoner's language, the, the language that everyone can read. How is everyone supposed to understand the Bible? What if they come up with wrong theology? So you, Tyndale, are a heretic for that. He was tried for a year, found guilty, and then executed. He was, he was tied to a pole and burnt. He gave his life because he was hungry enough to say, you know what, I want to be able to study the Bible in my own language, and I want other people to be able to study the Bible in their language too. So that's William Tyndale. Um, one more person is Johannes Gutenberg. Have you heard of him before? course you have. He was a goldsmith that started tinkering around. He didn't know, I don't, at least from my, from my reading of uh, biographies and stuff like that, I don't think he had any idea he was changing the world as he was fiddling around with, with type and making pieces of letters that could be put on a board and move around. And then you, he, he also invented an oil-based ink. You put the oil-based ink on these uh, pieces of metal that have letters on it, and then you turn this crank, and it presses that image into a piece of paper a.k.a. the printing press, the first movable type printing press in the world. And the first book he started working on, of course, was the Bible. Yeah. Just making copies, making hundreds at a time. Instead of one person copying by hand one at a time, he could make lots of copies at a time. Get the Bible into the hands of the masses. And so we have people like Gutenberg. We have people like Tyndale and Luther, hungry people at the time in the Middle Ages when there wasn't very many Bibles going around, when literacy wasn't, wasn't as common as it is today. And then we have, like, fast forward a little bit to our own country, uh, the United States of America and the coming over of the Puritans, 1600s. I'm going to say a statement, and this is going to sound like hogwash, but it's really true. Are you ready for the statement? I don't even know what hogwash is, but it doesn't sound good. Um, The Puritan society was the first society ever on the face of the earth to make it mandatory for every boy and girl to learn how to read. And you're like, no way. Wasn't there another society somewhere in some time that... No. I mean, as far as we know, no. I mean, maybe there was some hidden society somewhere that required every boy and girl to read. But the Puritans were the first ones to do that. Why did they want every boy and girl to be able to read? Because the Puritans were deeply religious, a deeply hungry, spiritually hungry society that wanted every single person, boy and girl, for the first time in history of the world, to be able to read, to be able to read the Bible so that they can know the Word of God. And so I I show us this, and it, it kind of hits on my own heartstrings as well because, you know, I just think about this book and how easy it is for me to read this book because I can read and how easy it is for me to carry around this book and if I lose this book I could you know just get another free one at the Mill Sunday School and how privileged we are to have the Bible and throughout church history how how deeply hungry someone had to be to be able to memorize Genesis I mean how hungry do you have to be spiritually that the only Bible that you have is in your head the book of Genesis being you know I'm That's crazy to think about how hungry people were in the past to be able to read and bring out the the Word of God into their own lives. And and we really have it easy as far as being privileged with the Word of God. And so what what this first, as, as we talk about studying the Bible this month, I think before we can study the Bible, we have to read the Bible. And I think before, you know, to, to motivate us to read the Bible, I think we have to be spiritually hungry. And that's where the, this rabbit trail went today, hopefully full circle, this idea of hunger and being spiritually hungry for the Word of God. And so I have four points about um, how to build hunger for the Word of God. And maybe, there, I don't think there's, hopefully don't, you have some more space for notes. But I have four points, how to, how to build hunger for God. And uh, the fourth point is, is going to be the, the biggest point. So make sure you save room for number four. 
<clears throat> and these are, these are things that I've, I've thought of uh, uh, throughout these two, last two weeks as I've been preparing this message. But point number one, how to build a spiritual hunger. Point one, don't eat junk food. And I'm going to let you in your own life think about that. Like, what is junk food to me? Like, what fills me up so much that I don't feel like I need the Bible? One time on Easter, I think I was like six or seven years old or something like that. It was Easter Sunday. Mom got up early to cook the Easter ham and all the deviled eggs and the fruit salads and like this huge feast for Easter. And then, of course, in the morning we wake up and go get the, all the candies and eggs and the stuff like that. And my mom said, don't eat any of this candy you, you'll, or else you'll ruin your lunch, right? Because she spent all morning getting up early making this feast. And yet I snuck behind the couch and started eating handfuls of jelly beans and Easter chocolates and deliciousness and junk food. And I'm behind the couch and my mom finds me. <laughs> and my, my family wasn't at all abusive at all, but they did believe in spankings. <laughs> and I just remember getting spanked for, for ruining my lunch, ruining the feast. That, that my mom had spent all day making. And I think spiritually, you know, I think sometimes we, we don't, we're not hungry for the Bible because of junk food. And I want to let you think about what the junk food is in your own life that, that maybe you need to stop eating. And, and we are talking totally spiritual right now about junk food that, that enters into our life and we fill up on that instead of filling up on the Bible. So that's point number one to build a hunger for the Bible, to build a hunger for God and His Word. Don't eat junk food. Number two, eat healthy meals every single day. Eat healthy meals every single day. If you are eating big meals, if you're spending an hour in a Bible study every single day for, let's say, a month, every day of every of this month, you spend an hour reading the Word of God, and then one, after that month, you don't read that day, are you going to be hungry to read the Word of God? Yeah, you're going to be like, man, I, I really missed something. What did I miss? Let's see, I, I did that. I did, oh yeah, I forgot to read the Bible. You're going to be just, something inside of you is going to scream, you need to eat. You are hungry right now. You're spiritually hungry. So point number one, don't eat junk food. Point number two, eat big healthy meals every day. Number three, I thought this one was cute. Are you ready for a cute one? Eat for two. Eat for two. And what I mean by that is to, is to also encourage other people to read the Bible. You know, one of the times in my life when I was the most hungry spiritually was when the first time I ever led a small group. I led a small college small group, actually back in that same church of Utah, and I would just study the Word of God, and I would get into it, and uh, like I remember this one summer as I was preparing uh, to, to, to start this Bible study, so that one summer three months, three and a half months-ish I read the entire Bible, Genesis all the way through Revelation. And it was really funny. I was having a conversation at the end of that summer with a guy. And he's like, so how are you doing spiritually? And I'm like, oh, pretty good. He's like, well, have you been in the Word recently? And I said, yeah, I, I, I read the Bible once this summer. And he was like, what? why are you smiling about that? You read the Bible once this summer? Why is that good? And I was like, no, I mean, I read the entire Bible once through this summer. And he was like, oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... But I just remember being, so the, under this point of eating for two, and, and, and eat for two, eat for other people as well. I mean, teach other people about the Bible. If you're at all encouraged to lead a small group, come talk to, to a mill leader or myself about how you might lead a small group. Because we need more great small groups to help and encourage other people to read the Word of God. Eat for more than just yourself. Eat for, you know, as, as you get older, you'll have a family and kids someday. Eat for them as well. Read the Bible so much that it's just coming out of you. So that's what I mean by that, that third point, eat for two. And number four, the biggest and most important point that I can think of, number four, is don't ignore the hunger pains. Don't ignore the hunger pains. Number four is don't ignore the hunger pains. I, sh I should have put these on the notes so you could have them, but I guess if you're writing them down, you'll, you'll have them. Number four is don't ignore the hunger pains. And what I mean by that 
is there'll be times in your life, times this week, I'm praying for all of you. I'm going to pray this over all of you that, that at some point th- this week, maybe even today, you'll just feel like, man, I really want to get in the Word of God. What's on TV? <laughs> Don't ignore the hunger pains. If you feel like, man, I really, if you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, wow, I think God is speaking to me. Open up the Bible, open up your notebook, open up your heart and your mind to receive from God. And I think the more we ignore hunger pains and the more we think, oh, God might be speaking to me. Oh, well, uh, Lost is about to start. Better watch Lost. No, don't ignore the hunger pains. Stop everything and get into the word. Get into it and, and just drink deeply read deeply into the text and don't ever ignore the hunger pains. So hopefully those, those four points are helpful for you. Um, I guess that's, I mean, the, just this idea of that question, how hungry are you? It is something that, that I, I just want to start this month off with before we talk about commentaries and big words like exegesis and hermeneutics and fancy smancy Bible study terms and the archaeological study Bible and all these cool other study Bibles. Well, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to talk about highlighters and cool stuff that I get excited about. Um, the, the deeper question is, how hungry are you? How, is there a need in your life? Have you opened up your life to God? And is there something missing because you don't know him fully? And you're like, man, if I could just know God. I mean, you realize you'll never know God fully. But is there a hole in your heart? Augustine put it this way and talked about a God-shaped hole in every single one of our hearts that we fill up with other things. We fill up with junk food, but don't fill it up with junk food. Only God can fulfill that God-shaped hole in your heart. It's shaped like God. Only God can fit in it. And so uh, let's pray this morning. Let's open our hearts and, and let's, let's just pray for a hunger from God. So Jesus, we, we do right now open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. God, we even open our, we open our spiritual stomachs to you, God, and say, God, would you let us be spiritually hungry? Would you allow us to have hunger pains, a spiritual hunger pains for your truth and your word? God, we open ourselves for you to speak to us. God, we are privileged to have Bibles, to be able to read. God, I, I, we just sometimes forget how common it is, how easy it is to read the Bible. And so, God, right now, we just take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for the privilege of your word in English that we can read. Thank you for the privilege that we can all have a copy, that we can all be taught to read, that we can receive it and know it to be true. And so, Jesus, as we thank you for that, we we just ask again, would you open our hearts, open our spiritual stomachs, that may you only feed us, that we might put junk food away from our lives and just open ourselves up to your word. And so, God, we thank you and we praise you. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.